All right, well, it's good to get started. Looks like we have some technical difficulties. I'm not sure what's happening there, but what I'd like you guys to do is grab your Bibles and open them to Matthew chapter 7, because we are in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, that's going to be our uh, series today. Uh, we continue on the um, as Jesus uh, gives us the greatest message ever uh, uttered in all of human history. It's changed more things than anything else. Hey, look, it's back. Praise God. Uh, you still want to have your Bibles. Uh, you have them there. And uh, today, uh, and we're going through the Sermon on the Mount this summer, um, we started with Jesus gives us kind of those principles of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God is, it's got to be a personal thing before it's a public thing. It's it requires faith and faithfulness, right? It's, it's worth it that, that God is good and his kingdom is, is worth living for. And I hope that by now uh, those principles are starting to really stink, uh, kind of stick in your heart and your mind. Yeah, they don't stink. They're good, right? They'll, they'll stick in your heart and mind as you, uh, as you read the rest of the sermon. And then he talks about then how the kingdom of God, what it's like, the characteristics of the kingdom of God, the, 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 um, the way that the, the character that we have in the kingdom, that we're that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but fulfill the law, and he tells us what that looks like. And then when we get to heaven, of course, we're not going to be under a law, we'll be under grace, but, just because, but it doesn't mean we're going to be lawless, right? That we're not going to have to have laws that say don't murder people or things like this in heaven because we won't be murderers on the inside. No one would ever do that. And the, the God's kingdom has the same thing. We're not going to have contracts in heaven because we're just going to be honest. Everyone is just going to be honest. It's going to be an amazing place. The God's kingdom is an amazing place to live. And then he finishes up now in that last section, which we started last week, and then really what is, what is the culture of God's kingdom like? If you have this type of people, you have this type of kingdom in which he's declaring, what is that going to look like on earth? What's it going to look like even here and now? How do we practice that? One of the things that we found last week was the first bit of good news is that in God's kingdom, uh, we are no longer slaves to money. That we have the power to put money in his face, that God is going to is our, our provider. He'll take care of our needs. We just need to seek him, his kingdom, his righteousness. That's what we take care of. And then he takes care of us. And because of that, we have the capacity, the ability to take this thing, which often for many people, they worship money. We are able to direct it and to put it to use for good things. And today, he goes to another portion, which I think is an amazing gift that we have of part of being a part of God's kingdom, is that uh, we're not going to deal with all kinds of crazy confusion, which I think characterizes our culture more than anything else. Now, in our culture, people have no idea what truly is right or truly is wrong. Uh, we live in, in a world in which theft is oftentimes justified, right? Maybe it's okay to steal if you were poor enough or if other people had uh, things that maybe that, that you wanted, right? Maybe it's okay, okay to lie, right? There are times it's, it's fine to lie in our culture. We have that. We have all kinds of, of confusion in our culture as to what is good and what is bad. In fact, to even say that there is such a thing as good or bad is oftentimes even sneered at. I say, well, we, we shouldn't be judging one another this way. And the result is, we have families that don't know how to operate. We have young children that, that don't even know if they're boys or they're girls. And even if they do, they don't know their space and their family or society or how they're supposed to live. According to that, we have uh, owners of companies that don't know how they're supposed to, to take care of their employees. We have employees that have no concept of what it means to, to be able to work for somebody else. We have a society that's in deep confusion. And, you know, this is not the first time in human history that people have lived in confusion and fought over these things. But you know what? God's kingdom is very, very different. 
That there's not this deep confusion in which everybody wonders and argues and, and complains and has no, uh, no uniformity as to how to live. And that's what he talks about next as we go through on the, the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, but this passage, because the devil is clever, is probably one of the most misunderstood, not probably, the most misunderstood, misused passages in Scripture that actually has been used by, I think, the enemy and, and others who are ignorant of what Jesus is saying to, to teach the very opposite, to try to shut the, the church down and Christians down from being able to proclaim truth. And we're going to show actually what Jesus tells us is that, no, that the kingdom, how these passages give us a great amount of clarity and power to live a life according to truth and to have right judgment. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn them to Matthew chapter 1. Of course, I hope that you're there. And as we do, uh, let's get into it. Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, that passage oftentimes has been used to, in our culture to basically say, don't judge, you're going to be judged right? Don't you dare tell me what is right or what is wrong, right? That only God can judge. And you know, it's, I find it interesting is the people who often say that, only God can judge me, you don't judge me, are the very same people that are doing things they know God will judge them guilty for, right? They're like, don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong because I know it's wrong. And so they use it to shut Christians down. They use it to, to take the, the scripture, the truth of scripture and to hide it they do it to, to basically say, I'm going to do what I want to do. And, but the problem is, is that when they try to use this against Christians to say, well, you shouldn't be able to judge. You, should, you shouldn't be able to say what is right or what is wrong. You should be quiet, you Christians. We're going to do our pagan things however we want. For starters, uh, when they're saying that, they're admitting that there's a right and wrong. And beyond that, if they're saying, well, only God can judge me. Now, there's a popular song that just came out. And, uh, I listened to the football team guys were listening to us. Like, like my house came out a couple years ago. People are like having a party in their house or whatever. And they're saying like, only, remember, only judge, God can judge us. So just, you know, telling these women to dance however lewdly they want to, right? And, and I'm like, yes, if only God will judge you, that should terrify you. If I would say, well, I'm going to do whatever I want because God will judge me, that's the last being on earth I want to judge me. That's the last being anywhere I want to judge me. You mean the one who's, who is perfectly righteous, who knows my every single breath, my every single thought? The, the one who cannot be around wickedness at all? The one in whom every sin is a violation of my relationship with? In fact, every sin is, is a high treason against his royal eternal authority? That's the one who's going to judge me? The one who has the ability to destroy not just my body, but my soul in hell? That's the one I'm going to be judged by? I would rather be judged by you than by him. 
And if I knew I was going to be judged by God, only God can judge me, then I would live a little different. I certainly wouldn't be flaunting my sin in his face. But we live in a world that is just absurd. And so often we say, don't judge. And even as Christians, oftentimes we do that when we're doing something that we don't, well, we shouldn't be doing, and we know it. And we don't want other Christians to look at us and to make us feel bad. We're like, don't judge. Bible says don't judge. Well, does it really? I, I don't think that. I think that to understand what it says is that, uh, that it actually does tell us to judge, but it, doesn't, it tells us to judge rightly. And there's a right way to judge and a wrong way to judge. And sometimes as Christians, we judge very wrongly because we use the wrong kind of judgment. Now, there's two types of judgment that people can, can use, right, when we talk about don't judge. Right, there's the, the first kind, which is just discernment. It's, it's choosing between right and wrong. It's knowing light from dark. It's, it's sweet from bitter, right? This is something that's just be able to recognize what is there. It is to see at what is reality and to affirm it. That is discernment. And the Bible tells us very clearly that we are to be discerning people. In fact, the prophets say, woe to people who say light is dark and dark is light, who that say sweet is bitter and bitter is sweet. Right? We're supposed to be a people who see the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. We're supposed to know him. We're supposed to reflect him. Even earlier in Jesus' message, he said, hey, you guys, you've got to be salty. Right? You, you can't just be like the rest of the world. You have to discern truth from error. We have to live a different way. We're supposed to be a people of light, not of darkness. There is a discernment that is absolutely necessary and prescribed in Scripture that we're supposed to, we're supposed to judge between right and wrong. But there's a second time of judgment that we're not supposed to do, and that's condemnation. That's, that is passing not a judgment of a truth, that's passing a judgment on a person. Let's say, this person is evil. This, you know, you've done this, and therefore this is how you have to suffer. And in this way, we recognize that people were not supposed to condemn one another. In fact, we're supposed to even love our enemies. I really don't like that, that passage in Scripture where Jesus tells us to do that because I, I hate my enemies for a reason. It's not like I just woke up one morning and like, I'm just going to hate that guy. I'm like, usually they're pretty lousy people. They do mean things. But if I'm not supposed to, to, you know, to hate my enemy, how much less am I supposed to condemn my brother or sister? Right? We, we have this different thing that God has said that he is the one who has the right to discern and the, the destination of each of our souls. He has the right to determine, to give us an identity, you are bad or you are good or you are innocent or you are guilty. That is to God. And so there are two types of, of judgment, discernment and condemnation. And we'll think we'll find in Scripture that, that we have to be very careful about which one we do. I think the church throughout history sometimes, what we've done is in pride, we have been very good at condemning the world. We have been very good at condemning one another. You did this bad thing, and therefore you're shunned. You've done this bad thing, and therefore you're less of a person than me. You've done this bad thing, and therefore you're, you're icky, and we want nothing to do with you. See, that's the type of do not judge that I think the world, when they say don't judge me, that's what they're reacting against. And we didn't see that type of even condemnation in Jesus' ministry. 
I think a great story of this, you had a, a woman who's caught in adultery in the act. Drug her up to Jesus. The law says kill her. And of course, Jesus writes something on the ground. We don't know what. And he says, the first of you who have, without sin, you could throw the first stone. Of course, everybody leaves. Now, that's, he stopped the condemnation of the, of the culture, didn't he? But then what did he say to her? Your daughter, your sins are forgiven. If no one else is going to here is going to condemn you, neither will I. Your sins are forgiven. But then he says, go and sin no more. So as Jesus didn't practice condemnation, he certainly practiced discernment. Uh, so we're going to see here, how do we as a culture, how do we as a church, as, as a part of God's kingdom, how do we live in, in a world that has no, that does not judge things correctly, right? That's just an absurd world. How do we practice good judgment? And, and Jesus tells us in this passage that we find the first thing is to do is we have to exercise discernment, not condemnation. That's the first thing we need to do. And that is a heart check. It is so much more fun to condemn a person than it is to judge, you know, uh, if something is true or false, right? It, it, it's much more powerful, isn't it? It just feels, there's just like this personal portion to it, but there's something wicked about that as well. For when we condemn, we set ourselves in pride as, as though we were somehow above them, and we are not. As we practice good discernment in this world, we have to make sure that it truly is discernment. And how we can know that is what is the, the, the focus of our judgment? Is it on the person or it is on the, the thing? If we're focusing on you are an evil person, not that was a wrong action, that's condemnation. But if we're looking at the person and saying, that's a bad, that's a horrible action, right? That, that is discernment. And so Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. We don't want to condemn. I'm not supposed to be unforgiving. Jesus said, if you don't forgive people, I'm not going to forgive you, right? If I'm going to condemn people, Jesus said, if you judge, you condemn, you're going to be condemned. Don't do it. So we need to forgive to be forgiven. I want to make sure that I offer the same level of mercy and kindness to others in my judgment that I would like to receive from God in the same measure. And I think there's something true about this, too, that if we are very condemning towards other people, then other people will be very condemning to us, won't they? Because being condemned on something is very feeling attacked. People attack back. And so we recognize that we, we can't pass judgment on others in a way that condemns them and assigns them a place, but we can be discerning, and I want people to be discerning with me. Because if I am in error, if I'm offending the God of the universe, the reality is that only God can judge me and God will judge me. And if I am doing something that offends him, I want someone to tell me. And I'm grateful that I am part of a healthy church that has done that throughout my life and that we help each other. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, we read, it says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. We have to be discerning, church. That we have to be able to look in this world in which everything is so mixed up and to say there are certain things that are not true, and we reject them. And there are certain things that are true, and we're going to cling to them regardless of what everyone else says. And where do we find that? We find it in God. We even sang songs about this morning. Do we really believe God is good? He's the source of goodness. If it aligns with him and his word, we accept it as true and good. 
And if it goes against it, well, then it is not. It it's either comes from a source of light or it doesn't. And so we're supposed to test things. Look at our world today. Let's pick something. How about, I don't know, how about the, the battle of the sexes? Does that sound like that it came from God? Is that in any way do we see this in Scripture where God has designed it that half of the human race should ha- hate the other half of the human race? That we should be in constant competition with one another, tearing each other down. Is this, is that sound as though this reflects the very nature and character of God? No, but it's an ethic amongst our culture, isn't it? And the result is war in our, in our jobs, war in our culture, war in our homes, that I think we see that we test this, and we say this does not pass the sniff test. This is not a godly thing. The, the world can live that way, but as Christians, as people in God's kingdom, we don't have to. We can recognize that God made men and women both in his image, different, wonderful, but not to battle with one another, but to complement and to complete one another. There's value in each, and there's esteem in each. And we definitely shouldn't fight. But if we work together, there's some great things that happen. You see, we, we, we reject what is evil, but we can cling to what is good. We're supposed to live different. And so as we Christians, we do judge between right and wrong, between what is truthful and what is error. The next thing we need to do in our, in our judgment as we practice sermon is to aim to build up, not to tear down. And that, again, is a heart issue. Jesus said, for in the same way you judge, you judge others, you will be judged. you see that? That's what he said. That when somebody brings a, a, a judgment, or if you see an error in my life, you can use that as a, as a weapon to just beat me into dust, right? You just be like, you are so stupid, Aaron, because you didn't get it right. Look how worthless you are, how blind you are, that you couldn't understand what his truth was there. You believed in a lie. Shame on you, right? We can do that. We could take people's failings and we can use them as rocks to stone them with. Or, or we can recognize that God made that person better than how they're acting. That, that there's a value in them that when they get to the kingdom, they're not going to struggle with this anymore. But right now, that error is causing death in their life because sin always causes pain and death. And the issue isn't the person, but it certainly is the action. It's the belief. It's the untruth. And if our heart is really that they become better, that they have a better life, then we don't rub their nose in their mistakes but gently and, and kindly and compassionately, we explain and teach, not demand, but teach and show a better way. Light will always shine. It is true. And so if our heart is for one another, I want us all to get better. And we don't live under the illusion that any of us are perfect, okay? We're not, and we get that. We need each other to help each other, to learn, to see where, where are our blind spots, to, to help each other grow where we're weak, to, to train out the, the brokenness. We live in a culture so saturated with darkness and lies, all of us have been contaminated. We need each other to help. Let's say this is an area in, on our life, maybe something you've believed very deeply, but it's in contradiction to God, His nature, and His word. 
But I know that if you, if, if you cling to God, His nature, His word, and you reject what is wrong and you cling to what is right, you, there's a better life before you. There is less pain that you have to struggle with. If our, if our intent is to build up and not tear down, well, that's the same way I want to be judged. I, I want people in my life that help me. I want people that, that draw me up and not crush me. I want the Holy Spirit and God to do the same thing. Not to show me how awful I am, but to show me the things in my life that are making my life awful. So that I can get rid of those and I can start living in truth. It's like this is a football coach, right? We got kids on the football team. I don't yell at them or things like this because they make mistakes to show them how bad they are. We watch film, we look at how they're doing their form, all that kind of stuff, and we look for what they're doing wrong so that we can help them correct so they can be better players. And it makes everything better if you have better players. We need to do that for one another. Ephesians 4.29 even goes on to say, do not let any unwholesome talk come from your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. That's right judgment. So when we bring a fault, are we being mean-spirited? Are we trying to lift ourselves over this person saying, see, I'm a better Christian than you because I don't have this problem and you clearly do? That's tearing down. That's a contradiction. We don't want to do this. We're not judging others the way we would like to be judged. But if it grieves our spirit or our heart, we see something happening in a brother or sister's life that is hurting them. Can we love them enough to help draw them up and show them why it's hurting them? In fact, that's the whole purpose of church discipline, right? That's why we practice that. It's because we love each other. So build each other up. As we do this, as we really believe that God is good and his ways are good and goodness leads to blessing, God's blessing, what we need to do is make sure that that we have the right authority to talk about things, which Jesus talks about next. He said we have to gain relational authority through personal integrity. And he gives a really great description. He's like, listen, if you've got a log in your eye, don't try to do eye surgery if someone's got a little speck in theirs. Right? That, that's crazy. But we do that sometimes. Right? If, if you've got, like, you're... You're committing adultery on your wife. Maybe you shouldn't be talking to your neighbor about how they shouldn't be watching porn, right? Maybe that's, you haven't earned that yet. If you're embezzling money from your business, maybe you shouldn't be talking to another person about how they should really be tithing and honoring God with their money, right? Maybe we need to have a little bit of of integrity in our lives and we need to be practicing what we preach. If we really believe it's true and good, shouldn't it be personal before it becomes public? Isn't that one of the principles of the kingdom? Now, a lot of people just stop there and they say, see, if you have a log in your eye, you can't put a, take a speck out of somebody else's eye and since we all have sin, Christians should never judge. That's not what it says. It says, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see more clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So what we need to do is we have to start here. Can we allow there to be discernment in our own life? Do we really take time to allow God to to go into it and ask him, Lord, how am I offending you or am I missing it? Where in my life am I even in in ignorance walking in sin? Can you show me that so I can have my life become more straightened out so I can reject lies and walk in truth? 
Are we willing to take a look at our own lives? And maybe we know exactly where those things are, and we're just unwilling to let those things go. Well, you have to be willing at some point to let those things go. You have to die in order to be raised again. If you want to be set free from sin, you have to let the sin go. You have to set it free. But I'll tell you, until you're ready to do that, don't try to assuage your, your, your broken conscience by saying, well, I may have the sin, but I'm going to teach other people not to do it. That's not how it works. Jesus said that calls us a hypocrite. And as far as I read in Scripture, Jesus isn't real popular. Like, he doesn't really like hypocrites all that much. He wants us to be genuine. And so we need to have that introspective look. That's what communion is every single week. That's what confession is. And and by the way, it's one of the great things I get to do as a pastor, right? I take confession, and people could come in and just share, and, and we pray and forgive, and God brings forgiveness into your heart, into your life. It's an amazing thing. And then we set a path for restoration and redemption, right? A, a, a pathway towards actually walking in the new way. There was a reason that the, the old sin was there, so we helped grow. That's one of the great things. You have a pastor who does this, right? That's one of the great things that a shepherd gets to do for you. But we can... We can confess our sins to one another, also most important to God. And then we help each other walk in this new way, right? But we have to have personal integrity. Not perfect integrity, right? But you have to have this level of integrity. As we have integrity, then we gain the authority. It's easier to have somebody who's actually practicing this truth in their life come to me and say, hey, Aaron, I've noticed that you have a problem with this. And... and I made it did too. I had a log in my eye at one point, and I took it. Let me tell you how that worked, right? And let me encourage you. This is how this can help. So personal integrity. If we want to be a moral voice, salt and light in this world, we actually have to be salty and actually have to have light. As Christians, we have to be more moral than the rest of the world. This is not moralism. It's not we're saved by this, but we are called to do good works. We're called to actually be changed, transformed from the inside out. If God truly is good and he's in work in our life, then we should become more moral over time because we become more righteous from the inside out. The law becomes fulfilled in us in an increasing way, the fruits of the Spirit, which one of which is goodness starts to come in the Christian life. As we become that way, then the rest of the world will begin to look at our lives and then we'll see the good works that happens in our lives. And what will they do? They will give praise and glory to our Father in heaven, right? That's how we have a voice in a, in a dark world. That's what Scripture says. So it starts with having personal integrity. So one of the things, if you want to have good judgment, start personal. And then, as we fix those things, as God begins transformation, we have the moral authority to be able to talk to those in the world to help build them up. The last thing Jesus tells us to do here is to only help the ready and the willing. And this, again, is really hard because not everyone is ready and willing. Right? What do you say? Don't give to dogs what is sacred right? Do not throw your pearls to pigs. For starters, he talks about this, is that our judgment, our discernment is, is valuable. It's treasure. It's pearls, right? That right judgment is a, is a very valuable thing in this world. It is precious. And we need to treat it as such. Like uh, most who use this passage say that any type of discernment is evil, it's awful, it's worthless, it's, it's bad, it's poison. That's not true. Scripture says good discernment, right judgment is a beautiful thing. It's a valuable thing. And the world needs it. 
right? I mean, dogs and pigs could probably use a little better place to live. Pearls might help for that, but if they're not ready, they're not going to recognize it, and they will actually turn against you by saying that. So Jesus said, we are under no obligation as Christians to moralize the world. That gives me a nice because I look at our world today, and I see a lot of dogs and pigs. There are people out there who want to, to just wallow in, in the mud. They want to be morally dirty. They desire it. They, they want it so badly. And if, can you imagine if Jesus said, now that you know these things, you have to go and, and help the world see them? No, that's not what he said. He said, when somebody's willing and ready, then we share. But for a world, for people who are not ready for, for truth or discernment, we are no obligation. In fact, it says in Romans that sometimes God even gives people over. It's like a spell. Gives them over to their, their lustful desires. He's like, that's what you want? Fine. If that's really what you want, I'm going to let you have it. And if God himself is not going to bring conviction in their lives, who are we to think that we're going to? It is the willing and the ready that we have open doors to. It's those who recognize, man, I've got brokenness in my life. There's something wrong. I need to change. I've got shame or guilt or trouble. I have anxiety. I have pain. When, it's, when somebody is ready for a change, they're ready to listen to truth, truth that's brought to them with a heart of love and compassion that wants to build them up and not tear them down, a truth that is born even in their own very life, their own integrity, right? When, they, when they're really looking for answers, when they're ready to receive the treasure of the kingdom, we're to share abundantly and richly, and their lives will improve incredibly. But until they do that, we patiently wait and pray because God can change dogs and pigs into his children. He did it for me. He's done it for a number of you. He can do it for anyone. And so we just have to be patient, and we have to be discerning as to whom we share our discernment with. And there may be people in your life, maybe you work with, maybe a neighbor, maybe it could be a kid or a parent or who knows, that right now is just not open. The more you try to give discernment in the life, you might find that they really react against it, and they will fight against you. And they'll like turn against you and they will trample those things down and they won't appreciate them. It's going to break your heart and it'll make you vulnerable and you'll be attacked. And Jesus said, that's not good judgment. The sermon is also whom we share it with. And so if you can look and you just say, they're just not ready for it yet, then the prayer is, God, help them become ready. But in the meantime, we just hold our tongue, right? We don't agree <laughs> with their dirtiness. We don't, we don't practice it with them. We don't say, oh, it's okay what you're doing. But we also don't have to constantly call them and say, hey, you know what you're doing. You're living in sin right now. It's just not going to work. And so only help the ready and the willing. That is, I think, very freeing if you know anybody who's not ready and willing. <laughs> but it's also a great thing because that means that there are going to be people who are ready and willing. And you have something of value to offer. And so we find that Scripture tells us very clearly that one of the, the, the parts of God's culture, one of the things that we're going to have in the kingdom of God is that we get to practice good judgment. And that's not just on this earth, it's in heaven too. Aren't you going to be happy that in the kingdom of God there's going to be no crazy debates about what's morally right or wrong? 
Like that's going to be ended. And it's not just because God's going to be there on the throne and say, thus say me, right? We're just going to agree with him. That's, that's our spirits being fixed from the poison of Eden. We're just going to agree. It's going to be an amazing thing that good judgment is there. There's going to be no idiots in heaven. Praise God, right? If there's a four-way stop in heaven, everyone's going to know what order they're supposed to go in, right? If there's a, a checkout line in heaven, which I don't think there will be, but if there's 15-item limit, there's, everyone's going to know. Do apples count as one item or not, right? We're just going to know. But on this earth, until we get there, you are free now. My brothers and sisters, you're part of the kingdom that you don't have to wait till then. That in this world, in this broken world that doesn't know the difference between boys and girls, that doesn't know the difference between good and evil, that doesn't know the difference between what is right and what is wrong, you can practice good judgment now. And so we have to start with, by recognizing we're going to practice good judgment. Let's make sure that we are discerning, not condemning. If anybody describes us from the outside, may they never say this is a, a condemning church. Instead, what they say, this is a discerning church. May that be who you are and who we are. And may it be that our judgment practice so good that we are always building each other up and this world up and Estes Park up for its good and not tearing it down. May we be known as those who believe so deeply in every person to know that there is a better life and a better person inside of them. That's just that God is ready to rise to the surface. Let us be committed to each other's good. May we be known as those that build each other and not a church that's always out there just condemning, condemning, and telling the world how awful it is to tear it down. If we're going to judge right, let's also gain relational authority through personal integrity. May this be a church that is not known as a pack of hypocrites, of people who pre preach one thing but in their own private lives live a different way. But as those may who not be perfect are committed and dedicated to a different way of living, a, a different kind of lifestyle that follows Jesus, that really longs to conform our lives to his will as we learn to, as Jesus said, obey him in all things. May that be so well known that in our families, and our neighborhoods, and in this community, that they would say, this group of people, this church, are those who long for the righteousness, really believe in God's goodness, and live according to it. They may not understand it, but a real personal dedication to God's goodness in our own life first. And through that, maybe we're willing to share the amazing way, because I'll tell you what, goodness leads to blessing. We can share the goodness, the ways that how our families are, how operate, how our finances are different, how our personal lives are different, how we have a different kind of peace in our lives and our souls, uh, that, that when those who are ready, ready and willing, we are a church that is abundantly willing to share the riches of God's kingdom with them too. So let's be a church that gets to live in the kingdom even now, not just by putting money in a space, but let's, let's be a church that also judges rightly. And for each one of us, there's different ways that we can begin to practice that. First thing, I would uh, recognize that there is a passage in Scripture right at the very end of this where Jesus says our anchor verse, he concludes all of the Sermon on the Mount, and this is the, the, the so what, this is the main thing in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says this, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
So my challenge of the day, church, build your house on the rock. Practice good judgment. Some things you can do. First one is maybe read Psalm 119. Why? Well, you'll see. It's kind of a long psalm, right? But if you want to see where wisdom and, and discernment, a, a place where you can find it and find it in abundance and the riches of God are found, this is going to be a really encouraging passage for you. It gives you a place to, as an anchor to begin to find discernment. And something else you can do, this is not on there, but I've, I've done for a number of years, and a lot of people have, is there's 31 chapters in Proverbs, and if you go through a chapter a day, that's a great way of setting your mind on God's wisdom. And uh, over time... His Proverbs become, they kind of slowly percolate and color your, your, your thinking in a really wonderful way. And it helps you to, to begin to see uh, a wisdom and a, a discern what is truth from error in a, in a really profound way. So that's another thing that you can do. That would not just be for this week, but uh, it's a good way to go. Something else, really meditate on that, that anchor verse, Matthew 7, 24. Jesus, that's every week we're meditating on it. This was the, the final point that Jesus was leading to in the Sermon on the Mount. Like, I usually do deductive sermons where I start with a truth and then I come to, like, different points that, therefore, this is what we ought to do. Sermon on Mount is an inductive sermon. It's all this truth, and it comes down to one final point, and that point is this. If you listen, if you're wise, you're going to listen to what he says and you're going to do it. And that's all the things we're talking about, and that includes judging wisely. It, it, so I encourage us to meditate on this. How are you, how are you judging rightly? Right, really take some time in that. There are areas that, that you really need to, to have God bring some, some uh, accountability into your life, maybe to bring some uh, discernment as to what's true or wrong. Maybe you're confused about things. Maybe it's, it's about having some integrity. But to, to really meditate on this and have God direct you and how to build your house on his teachings in a, in a better way, how to judge more rightly. Something else you may want to do is if you go through that, God may show you a log in your eye somewhere. That's not fun. It's like when you go to the doctor and he tells you, hey, you've got this thing. Like, I went to the dentist this week. He told me how to get like a crown on a tooth. I was so upset because I felt like I had done so good. I'd flossed and I'd done all the things and it was all good, but I ate a walnut apparently and it cracked my tooth. And I didn't realize it was like a filling. So he's like, I gotta get a crown on there. I'm like, oh, I didn't want to hear it, but I'm glad he told me because if I didn't get that fixed, then I would have to do like a root canal later, right? Well, it's the same thing when we go to God. You get those checkups and you think you're doing great, and all of a sudden he shows you, hey, you got something here. Well, then you need to get it taken care of. So get it taken care of. You're going to see better. It's going to make you more comfortable. People won't look at you so weird. So just, if you've got a log right now, a sin in your life that you're struggling with, our God came to remove that. He is the greatest physician. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He'll forgive your sins, but also cleanse you of unrighteousness. You have to lay it down to be willing to walk away from those things. I want to tell you, there's freedom on the other side. These are pearls for you. So if you need to lay something down, make today the first step of that. Right? Invite God in in a new way, a commitment to walk in, in righteousness and in truth. Last thing is, maybe you need to find an accountability partner. AP. What is that? That's a friend who loves you, who's going to build you up and not tear you down. A friend who has discernment that you can also help them. Because we need other people in our life sometimes to see where we're, we're broken. If you need that, that, just think about, is there a person in your life whom you really love and trust that you respect? Maybe somebody you know at church, you see their faith, there's integrity there. Somebody that you know you can trust. And just go to them and say, hey, I'm, I'm really trying to follow Jesus, take this serious, and I wonder if you'd, you'd help me out in this. And I've got some things that... 
I, I want to be able to, you to help me with as I grow and become, live a life that's more discerning and more true. I want to judge more rightly. If they say no, well, then pray that God gives you better discernment who to ask next, right? But they say yes, I think you found somebody that's going to really, you're going to help propel each other in righteousness and truth in a great way. Of course, if you're here today, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This is the first thing you need. You can't live in the kingdom if you're not part of the kingdom. But he invites all of us to be. Even though we were dogs and pigs, we were all sinners, every one of us. That we could be saved by God's grace and goodness. Simply by our faith in him as our Lord and our Savior. And if you need to make that step, to be born again, to have all of the, the riches of the kingdom, not just to, to, to be able to judge rightly, but to put money in his place. To, there's all kinds of other great benefits of being in God's kingdom. It is worth it. But if you need to take that first step, that's, that's to be born again in his kingdom. And if that's you, what I'd like you to do is, is stay after the service. Come talk with me or Pastor Jesse. Or, and, and we would love to share with you how to, how to follow him. You how to believe and express your faith, the confession and repentance, baptism, be disciple, all the great things in there. It's a, it's a lifelong, wonderful change. And if you need that, please, don't leave this morning before taking that. It's the, the greatest thing you could ever do. Hopefully for all of us, we have something that we all can commit to this morning. I encourage you to take your, uh, your connection cards and let me know what those are so I can be praying for you this week. Please write down your prayers on there as well. Uh, we do uh, just love to pray for you every single week because our God is good and he answers prayers and we can trust him. Uh, let me pray for you as uh, you make your commitments and we'll have the offering come. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, if, if, if it wasn't for the fact that, that you are the very source of goodness, we would worry that maybe someday you would stop being good. But good is defined by who you are and you are, you are never changing. And so we can trust you. And that means that your goodness, everything you do in our life is going to be good. That you are light and you are truth and you are love. And we want to have that in our lives, and we're grateful that you invite us into that different kind of life, that different type of place in your kingdom. So, Father, help us to be that kind of people. Help us to be a church that, that, that judges rightly. Well, Father, we, we long for that. Help us to move away from condemnation and, and to be more discerning. Father, help us to build others up and not tear them down. Lord, that's, that's something that we, we definitely need. Change our hearts in the ways that we want to be prideful and give us a real compassion for the world. Oh, Father, help us to be patient with those who aren't willing and ready yet. Lord, and for those in our lives who just don't know, uh, don't know you, Father, we pray that they would come to a, an acknowledgement that you're Lord and King and Savior on this world where you can make a change. But Father, for all of us, help us to be uh, those who judge more rightly, even this, this week, Father. We pray that in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.